Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how witchcraft and science intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your host, Angel, and this is our 12th episode. Today, I've invited a friend of mine, Rhody, the Wayward Dragon, onto the podcast to talk about autism self-advocacy and how it intersects with his own practice of chaos magic. Rhody is a filmmaker and performer where he engages sigils, synchronicity, and nostalgia into his craft to continually invoke the power of whimsical Jim Hansen-inspired imagery with dark occult symbols and Twin Peaks aesthetic. We talk about how his neurodiversity inspires his magic and how he has learned to advocate for himself as an autistic person over the years of ableism he experienced, as well as how he conceptualizes his dragonkin spirituality in fandom spaces. Before we get to that conversation, I want to give a brief update to y'all listeners about the podcast. Iris has officially stepped down as co-host for the time being as they finish their degree. I hope to have them on the show once they are done with their degrees, as I'm really excited to talk to them about their research into gender theory and the archetype of the witch. Meanwhile, I have been working on developing the Patreon and now have included two new tiers for subscribers. At the $5 level, you can join at the Scion of Science tier, and each month I will be sending out deity stickers. The first one in the series is my own personal patron goddess, Shashat, Egyptian goddess of science, math, and writing. Each month, you will receive a sticker in the mail from a pantheon that is related to science that can be used on a glass-contained votive candle as part of your devotional practice, along with information about that deity and resources from where to learn more. I want to try to be sensitive of different traditions and closed practices, so I plan on focusing on pantheons of Western Wiccan occult practice. However, I will keep this open as a possibility for deities from other cultures by commissioning or collaborating with artists from those cultures and donating the proceeds from the month's Patreon earnings to that artist. I happen to know a lot of artists via my various communities online, so I want to keep this option open in terms of representation of these divine energies from people who come from those communities to express in their own terms as well as be financially compensated for their art. So just putting that out there as an invitation for collaboration if you happen to be someone from some of these traditions. At the $10 a month level, you can join the Science Witch Coven, which you will receive a monthly mailing which can include herbs, pressed flowers, seeds, or other natural items I have either grown or harvested ethically. I will include a small bit of info about each offering, a handwritten spell or exercise in alignment with the energies of that particular time, as well as any kinds of tarot spreads or information that I can impart via my various witchy studies. For international members, there may be a restricted access to certain offerings, but I will be able to tailor it to your specific situation. I also want to offer online rituals and presentations at this level via Zoom, and I plan on announcing that by way of 
Patreon. This is still in flux and I am open and inviting more participation and active co-creation from those of y'all out there to support this podcast and build the community of science witches all over the world. My intention is to try to incorporate the various myriad strands of my creative predilections into this podcast as a way to transmit and convey the concept of science and spirituality in synergy. As I work full time at this point, I want to keep this small and see how it develops, but I invite you to check out these offerings by joining our Patreon and supporting this project. Now, before we get to our interview, here's a word from our sponsors, as above. As Above LLC is the newest metaphysical boutique in Salem, Oregon. They seek to find magic in everyday ordinary objects and provide items for practitioners of every path. They are excited about showcasing local artisans, hosting classes, providing literature, collaborating with other practitioners, and volunteering in their community. As Above is passionate about being an ally and empowering women, men, all LGBTIQA, non-binary, all ethnicities, nationalities, people with disabilities, all ages, maidens, mothers, crones, sages, and all spiritual paths. They are an all-inclusive, all-people group. Currently, As Above is hosting Facebook live shows, Mondays at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, with a focus on spiritual tools, and Witch Wine Wednesday, where they showcase local talent at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check them out on various social media accounts. Links in the show notes. All right. So thank you. Today I am have an interview with Rhodey. Rhodey, aka Rhodey the Wayward Dragon, is a chaos magician and autistic self-advocate from Eugene, Oregon. Dragon kin and self-proclaimed nostalgiamancer, Rhodey incorporates filmmaking into his magical practice and sees it as an opportunity to pursue spiritual alternatives rooted in late 20th century pop culture. So thank you very much for joining me today on the Science Witch Podcast, Rhodey. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It's, that's, uh, I'm really excited to get into all this. Yeah, definitely. So let's, let's start with talking about what you mean by the term chaos magic and how it is that you practice it. Okay. Like, do you want me to go into the, uh, the origins and the history of chaos magic and all that jazz? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's give our listeners a little foundation as to what chaos magic is. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So first off, I want to get one thing out of the way. I, for one, don't claim to be an authority on chaos magic because mm. claiming that you are an authoritative voice on chaos magic defeats the purpose of chaos magic entirely. So just want to get that out of the way. But there are some key influential figures and groups in the 20th century who did lay down the foundation for what we know as chaos magic today. Chaos magic as a practice was, it was founded by Peter Carroll and Ray Sherwin, uh, two British occultists in the late 1970s. They founded the Illuminates of Thanateros in 1978. Carroll published what could be considered the first two literary pieces on chaos magic. Lieber Knoll, which was published in 1978, the same year as the founding of the Illuminates of Thanateros, and then the sequel book, Psychonaut, was published in 1982. And 
These days you can find them both combined into a single book. And that is the foundational text of chaos magic. And it is some really, really heady stuff. Like this is what I'm looking forward to covering in my, in greater depth than my uh, fursuit content mm-hmm. in the near future. The groundwork for the principles of chaos magic, as laid out by Carolyn Sherwin, is to put more focus on the practicality of magic. Its focus is to strip away the meritocracies, ceremonies, and dogmatism of established orders and breaking down the concept of magic into its most basic components. The term chaos itself is used as a stand-in for the uh, the universe or God or whatever mystical or mystical uh, or metaphysical forces behind manifestation in this in this practice. Chaos magic is very wild. It can be unpredictable, and it can often lead to some very unexpected or surprising results. And sometimes it can result in manifestations or outcomes that you never really knew you needed it's it's kind of funny how it all plays out and that is that is the nature of chaos it's it's unpredictable it's very just it is it's about just playing with different structures or creating your own structure and figuring out what works best for you and that's how the the common that's what the common chaos magic mantra, nothing is true, everything is permitted, is built around. At first glance, it does put people off, but it has more to do with casting aside that rigidity that is found in, well, the best example I can give is organized religion, like Abrahamic faiths, or like any other uh, strict dogmatisms. And it allows you to be open to experimenting with your own reality. Uh, which is why I like to incorporate a lot of aspects of my own childhood influences into my own tailored magical practice. Mm-hmm. So how how do you practice chaos magic? Like, how is this a different magical system than, say, Wicca? The way that... Any chance you could repeat the question, please? So how do you practice chaos magic? And how is it different from, say, Wicca? Um, The way that chaos magic differs from Wicca is that Wicca tends to be very focused on this, uh, this neo-pagan structure that was founded in, well, Wicca in and of itself is very derivative of practices from the late 19th and early 20th century, such as Aleister Crowley's Thelema. Uh, That's what, one of the main derivatives of, well, that's one of the things that both Wicca and Chaos Magic have in common, is they both do have ties to at least Crowley and the practice of Thelema, which, that's funny, since do what thou wilt is that uh, Thelemic equivalent to uh, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Anyways, I don't mean to dodge the question about Wicca, but Chaos Magic involves just being as unorthodox as you want. If, say, you want to make a scepter out of a boppet and you put your intent and your energy behind that, then 
that's perfectly valid as a magical practice. So chaos ties into mind. It's it's sort of this irreverent expression of creativity that in some yeah. way disrupts what is our common perception and consciousness. Yes, exactly. It is about just blazing new trails or you can even play around with established belief systems. That That's one key to chaos magic is belief itself is a tool. You're not limited or belief doesn't limit you. You take the concept of belief and you play with it. Say, if you're curious about whether or not a Christian practice works in your path, then don't be afraid to try it. And if you want to like suddenly switch to Buddhism, then that is perfectly valid. Like one person could be a Wiccan or a practice Wicca one week and then immediately go into Ordo Templi Orientis the next. So that's the, uh, like that's the malleability of chaos magic. It's, you can look at, like you can look at what is established and play around with it, or you can make your own completely different path entirely. One of uh, my most favorite examples of this is in the form of Pokemancy. Pokemancy. <laughs> that is exactly what it sounds. Uh, Pokemancy. Um, my, my friend Ursa, they are, uh, they're a Pokemancer and their divination practice uses Pokemon cards instead of tarot cards. And it is just as accurate to the point that it's almost scary. Do they use the same correspondences as the tarot and or like how does this work? It's way more well in a way it does and in some ways it doesn't because there's already a lot of occult references buried into the Pokemon franchise as it is. Uh-huh. Like when you look real deep into say the Pokédex entries there is a lot of mythology from eastern western cultures and that can be incorporated into a valid magical practice under chaos magic. Huh. So what you're saying is that chaos magic in a way is it, it sort of eludes any sort of description. It's very individualized and it looks different yeah. for each practitioner. So how do you practice chaos magic? Like what techniques do you incorporate? Well, personally, I call myself a nostalgiomancer, mm-hmm. which means I incorporate a lot of uh, a lot of my childhood influences primarily from the 1990s like I was born in 91 but I also grew up with a lot of 80s influences and the ability to just go deep into my own heart and pull out just what I have this passionate attachment to like um, what brought me comfort during the times where I had the least control over my life and then making something out of it. That's my, like that's my magical practice. And I incorporate that in the form of film because that is another one of my driving passions. It's, it, uh, it makes magic a very personal thing for me. 
because mm-hmm. I'm very using very personal influences of my life to impart something into the rest of the collective. Right. And you do that through film and certain symbols that you use in the imagery you construct. You want to yes. talk about yeah, like that, wh- how that incorporates chaos magic? Yeah, that ties directly back into a very common uh, chaos magic practice, which is sigil magic. Mm-hmm. And this has its roots several decades before the founding of the Illuminates of Thanateros. The Illuminates of Thanateros drew a lot of heavy inspiration from this uh, mildly obscure, surrealist occult artist named Austin Osmond Spare. He was the first, one of the first people to create the, uh, the basis for sigil magic as it's used in chaos magic. And that involves encrypting an idea in the form of a symbol, uh, say drawing a picture or another common practice is taking words of a certain incantation, cutting up the letters and combining them into a wonky shape, then imparting energy into it by way of uh, entering an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And a common practice in charging a sigil is, well, (laughs) they jokingly refer to it as sigil wanking because masturbation is a very uh, powerful way to charge a sigil, but it's not the only way. Mm -hmm. There are many ways to enter this altered state, be it dancing, be it drumming, be it taking part in uh, mind-altering substances, or, like in my case, just being neurodivergent. Right. Being a, an autistic person, like having having my brain wired completely differently from neurotypicals is in and of itself an altered state of consciousness. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only autistic person out there who's had people say, oh, you must be on drugs or something. Mm-hmm. When the fact is, it's like, no, I'm. I am this way. I mean, granted, I've uh, like I do enjoy the uh, the healing factor, or I I understand and have um, like partaken in the healing factor of mind altering plants. Uh-huh. But that's not exactly what I'm uh, referring to when it comes to being autistic. Okay, well, let's um, circle back then where it said that I wanted to discuss with you in regards to being an autistic self-advocate and what does that mean to you and how did you come to identify as that? Absolutely. I came to identify as an autistic self-advocate because, well, (laughs) how else can I advocate for myself as a grown adult? Mm -hmm. Um, There is a ton of support programs for autistic children. That's one thing I noticed the moment I started entering the world as an autistic adult is there is very little support for autistic adults. Autistic adults or autistic children still grow into autistic adults. Mm -hmm. There's no cure for autism. And yet it's very commonplace for autistics and neurotypicals to think that there somehow should be, as Mm -hmm. is the case with Autism Speaks. So 
that's why I've had to f- put focus, especially on my 20s, like pretty much my whole adult life and figuring out how to advocate for myself because I never had the, uh, the guidance or sense of community in order to figure that out until recently uh, with the advent of social media, independent autistic adults have been able to come together and form a sense of community. And that allows us to advocate for each other. That's how I came to identify as an autistic self-advocate mm-hmm. because there's uh, like having that community and having groups of autistic people advocating for each other that allows us to overcome the trauma of being bullied, misunderstood and ostracized our whole lives. And in my case, it's allowed me to overcome the ableism that I've internalized on myself. There are a lot of times where I did absolutely hate myself for the fact that I was autistic and that there was apparently something wrong with me. But in the last, uh, I want to say in the last half decade, and especially in the last two years, I've completely turned around in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I do have putting a serious effort into my magical practice, my, uh, my hyper fixation to thank for that. Mm-hmm. So how does your neurodiversity inform your magic? Well, how does my neurodivergence inform my magic? Well, if magical practice is achieved by ways of altered consciousness, be it drumming, meditation, dancing, or, well, as I was talking about earlier, (laughs) um, being autistic puts me in a state of consciousness that is almost always off kilter Mm -hmm. from the holistic majority. One of these complications of being autistic is the constant sensitivities to stimuli in ways that can be both psychologically and even physically painful. Mm -hmm. Um, However, there is such a thing as positive stimuli. Mm -hmm. And this is where I like to think of, like think of uh, the ways in which being autistic meshes stupendously, perfectly with the concept of chaos magic because we seek out, we find these positive stems, uh, these things that do bring us elation, uh, these, these particular rituals that give us a sense of grounding. A very common positive stem among autistic people is hand flapping. That is very common among autistic people as is of course, rocking back and forth. I got some most talked about because it is indeed common, but there are also very particular positive stems that are unique to each individual, very uh, unique rituals mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to tie it back into magic. One particular positive stem for me is the motion involvement and focus that comes from driving. That is a very positive stem for me. Mm-hmm. However, for another for another autistic person, it would be absolute hell. There could be motion sickness. There could be anxiety over you know, how fast the, the car is going. And it really goes to show that even though autistic people do 
share that that collective identity of being autistic, we're still just as varied and just as uh, like just as diverse as like despite the fact that we do share a lot of commonalities mm-hmm. and. Tying back to chaos magic, one could say that self-soothing rituals that autistic people invent for themselves are their own personal banishing rituals. Yeah, Um, definitely. Yeah, it's like, it's like, as is the case with hand flapping, it's like clearing your aura. Right. Yeah. Um, I I remember delving into shamanism a little bit, and there was apparently uh, one practice known as the sweep that... um, a particular shaman did to just simply clear the energy or a uh, Reiki. That mm-hmm. is another, uh, like that's another perfect example that has a lot of similarities to the, uh, the self-soothing that comes from hand flapping. Mm-hmm. So um, as a, as a, someone who's neurotypical, just to kind of like piggyback on some of the things you're saying, those of us who are neurotypical, we kind of have to go into the, consciousness in order to do magic and it, it it takes us a little more work whereas say an autistic person is is sort of exists on this constant liminal state where th- they might have a greater awareness and perception of these energy currents that otherwise neurotypical people would have to do say mind altering drugs or go into some kind of like trance state in order to access Absolutely. Okay. And it. So in in a way, like neurodivergent individuals are closer and more tapped into magic than even neurotypical people. Yeah, that that is a great way of putting it. The, (laughs) The only drawback is the fact that our ability to socialize and our ability to pick up on those very, uh, those subtle unspoken cues that are common of neurotypicals mm-hmm. that's practically non-existent for, for us at birth. We have to learn all of that from the ground up because we're just constantly in this, like we're constantly dialed slightly off kilter to the rest of like what is collectively actualized. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It does. And it it makes me wonder if a lot of the visionaries and leaders and prophets may have been neurodivergent individuals throughout history. And that in the advent of our modern culture, we just don't have sort of the systems or containers for helping people who have these neurodivergent tendencies to be able to refine them and and utilize them in a way that in the past they would have been seen as prophets and visionaries absolutely there are a lot of people who are being retroactively diagnosed and you have grown adults who go their entire lives not even knowing they're autistic until much much later in their lives the best example i can give in a modern case is Anthony Hopkins. He went his entire life not knowing what was going on with him. Uh, he, him and I even share the same vices that we fell into. He fell into alcoholism. I turned to alcoholism during my 
early 20s as a coping mechanism, as a way of just drowning out the noise. Mm -hmm. And having that diagnosis, being able to get that diagnosis allows an autistic person to ground themselves in, in, in the reality of, oh, okay, so that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then working towards finding healthier ways to, or healthier, like healthier ways of living or uh, more supportive people or seeking out these, uh, these autistic communities on social media. Like that is as much as people do talk down about social media, it has been very crucial in autistic people coming together as a community because of the, uh, the fact that we have difficulties socializing face-to-face. Like mm-hmm. some, I, I'm one of those autistic people who can maintain eye contact, but you do like that, uh, the inability to maintain eye contact is a very common autistic trait as well. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see this, like this coming back around. It's, there's still a long ways to go, but now that there is a sense of community among neurodivergent people, and there's no longer the sense of loneliness, it's as if we're finally able to move through our trauma that we experienced in earlier times when we had little control over our lives. Hmm. Yeah. Do you believe that there is a, well, I guess like, do you think that the, their neurodivergence has existed in human, human beings for as long as we've been human or what, what are your thoughts in terms of like this evolution of, autism and the autism community and how that relates back to humans and neurodivergence as an evolutionary mechanism? Well, to answer the first part of your question, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Like, I can't think of any other way that cultures have been able to evolve. There has to be some group of people who are outside of the box that find way like different ways of thinking, different ways of inventing. If I, if I remember correctly, Albert Einstein was retroactively diagnosed as autistic Mm -hmm. and he invented the theory of relativity. Mm -hmm. And some suspect that Isaac Newton was autistic as well because Mm -hmm. there's, because of that different wiring in the same way that there's, there has always been, gay people, there has always been trans people, there has always been uh, non-binary or queer people, there has always been neurodivergent people, Mm -hmm. regardless of what the the collective dogma tries to sweep under a rug. Mm -hmm. So do you think this, this perception as autism as a mental illness is something that is, is been created by capitalism and that capitalism is sort of the current that has changed our perception of neurodivergence as an illness, as opposed to an attribute or strength that helps the collective community. Hmm. I would. Well, well, how do you think, what do you think of the pathologization, the, 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 
what is the word? The, the pathologicalization of neuro, yes, the pathologizing of uh, neurodivergence. Like, where do you think that came about? Oh my God, pathologizing. I can't stand it. And I do agree. It has to do a lot with the current system that we live in and how a person's self-worth is directly linked to their productivity. Mm -hmm. And that needs to change because to quote, to quote Diogenes, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be surprised if Diogenes was autistic himself, honestly. It is not that I am mad. It is that my head is different from yours. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the lines, it's just, there's, there has been this constant hostility and oppression towards people who are, who, who just, they, they think differently. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and pathologizing that does a whole lot to, to hurt, not just autistic people, but uh, those who have ADHD and especially those with cluster B personality disorders. What's that? Um, Explain uh, that. Cluster B personality disorders involve uh, borderline personality disorder, mm. antisocial personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of people toss around the, the term narcissist a lot, but that doesn't change the fact that an abusive person doesn't have to be a narcissist in order to be abusive. Mm-hmm. And you have plenty of people with narcissistic personality disorder who are aware of it and are, are working on it. Mm-hmm. And same goes for borderline personality disorder. Like I used to har- like that. I used to harbor a lot of resentments that I misdirected towards the personality disorder. And that's another factor of the, uh, the internalized ableism that I myself have had to detangle from. Yeah. So how does, how does chaos magic help you untangle that? Like how does uh, chaos magic help you to empower yourself through identifying as a neurodivergent individual? I would say it helps me detangle from just all the labels that people have slapped on me. I mean, I've been called the, uh, the R slur multiple times growing up and being gay, I've also been you know, called the F slur and just that, uh, that constant exposure to really traumatizing situations that I had little to no control over. I feel like, I feel like stepping into magic has allowed me to make sense of it all or stepping into chaos magic in particular, because Mm -hmm. I feel like my entire life has been chaotic. I've just been stumbling through like stumbling through this existence, just completely confused and, and still am on occasion. And I feel like harnessing that chaos in order to, better myself as a person that's the best thing that I've ever done for myself Hmm. wow well getting back to the sort of different aspects and ways that you manifest chaos magic in your life let's talk about 
how you identify as a dragonkin. What exactly is that? And how is that expressed through your chaos magician identity? Well, the way the dragonkin aspect came about is through my, uh, my certain personality traits and quirks. I tend to be very passionate in very uh, spitfire ways. I have a tendency to be very reclusive. I, I need to have my own den. And I do have a habit of hoarding things that I have a special interest in. Like I had a kombucha phase. I have a hoard of glass bottles from that. And that's probably going to pick up in the summertime. And all around just feeling more like I'm just having a human experience as an individual who doesn't really feel human. Hmm. And I feel like that helps me get a better grasp of my life as a neurodivergent person. I'm just, I, it's like, it feels like this is the first time I've ever incarnated as a human and I'm just stumbling my way through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that seems to work for me in regards to radically changing my life for the better. So how do you express your dragonkin identity? Oh, and the way that the way that I express it is through being a furry or being involved in the furry fandom, funny mm-hmm. enough. Um, other kin and furries, they they do overlap a lot. And you have furries who absolutely hate other kin and you have other kin who absolutely hate furries, but then there is that middle ground. And from my point of view, I see uh, my dragon suit, my dragon fur suit as like, as the medium, I see furry as the artistic medium to express the inner dragon that is me. So in a way, being able to express your dragonkin identity, you're being able to obtain your, or at least achieve a way of expressing your idealized self. Absolutely. And the way that I just love to convey that is by way of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I have this passion for filmmaking, set design, costume design, And being able to use that as a driving force to bring out what's going on inside my head has been absolutely liberating. Mm -hmm. With your filmmaking, just so, and I'll make sure to put links in our show notes so that viewers can come check out some of your work, but your videos, they feature you in Rhodey, the costume that you built yourself. And mm-hmm. I like to describe Rhodey as a Muppet looking because you, you use Jim Henson's <laughs> yes, aesthetic. Uh, yes, yes. The, yeah. That aesthetic is, is resonates in your costume. And you, you, you produce these really short little films that, that have a lot of that nostalgia from the 90s with the Twin Peaks. But also you, you have a lot of really interesting sigils 
that mm. appear on the screen and they kind of have this retro look because you give it the, the sort of look that it's being recorded on VHS. How do those elements, like h- how are you expressing your chaos magic through those, this sort of creative content? Well, it all ties back to you know, just looking, like just going deep into my heart mm-hmm. more than anything. Instead of just thinking about producing something for the sake of like being popular or for material gain, it's, I just, I do, I, I've, I do this because I enjoy it mm-hmm. more than anything because my heart is screaming for it. Mm-hmm. And in a way it's like, it's, it's taking the chaos that has been my life and making something out of it. Hmm. Awesome. It's like, it's like the, the last, ha- like pretty much my entire twenties has been a, a journey into the abyss and what I'm doing now as Rody the wayward dragon is me making something of what I found down there. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's really interesting. Well, I, I hope our listeners after hearing this interview, go and check out your work. And I'm also really excited to see what other directions you take it. I plan on bringing my content onto YouTube and covering all of these topics we discussed today at greater length. Like for the last two years, I've just been focused on getting myself out there, making a name for myself, just quickly making stuff. You know, it's just fast and easy to produce. And now I feel like I'm ready to take more time in talking about what I really want to talk about. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. For sure. What, what is your next project? Can you give us a little bit of an idea of what you're doing next? Well, I'm taking the formula for my content, which is the incorporation of nostalgia, of factors of my from my childhood and from the 80s and 90s that I really resonated with incorporated with the uh, with occult mysticism mm-hmm. and using that as a way to discuss topics relating to the occult relating to being no divergence and mm-hmm. of course politics <laughs> yeah Yes, in, in particular, anarchist politics. Which go in hand with the chaos magic. Yes. Well, so. uh, Rody, it's um, getting to be time here. Do you have any closing mm-hmm. thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I got to say, thank you all for Thank you all for tuning in and I'll be back after these messages. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you so much for having me on. Angel. I, I really appreciate it. And I just like, I, I'm super happy that I have a chance to really get into my element and talk about these things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about these topics and 
I'm sure as your film career continues to evolve and develop, we'll have more things to talk about in terms of chaos magic and the furry fandom and various other topics. I'm sure we could go on and on about. Absolutely. Thank you, Rhodey, for joining me for that interview. I want to thank all of y'all out there listening. For the next episode, I hope to bring you an interview with pagan elder and professional wizard Oberon Zell Ravenheart about the intersections of science fiction and the emerging neo-pagan culture. I appreciate any likes and shares, along with ratings and reviews on the platforms that you are listening to this podcast on. Also, if you have any feedback and would like to suggest episode topics or have a science or witchy question, feel free to email me at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, live long and prosper, and blessed be.